You're listening to the message podcast of High Ridge Church Longview, where our vision is to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and ultimately make a difference. We are so glad that you're here, and we pray that this message impacts your life as you apply the spiritual truths from God's Word in practical ways. Let's listen in. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. I'm so glad that you're here. Good morning, everybody. I believe God has something powerful in store for you as we get into his word and allow his word to get into us, amen. To everybody that's watching online, hey, good morning to you. We're so glad that you could join us at least by the miracle of the internet. We're so, uh, we're so thankful that you could be here. So your High Ridge family is gonna give you a big, loud round of applause and just tell you how much we love you. Come on, High Ridge family. Let's welcome in all of those watching. God bless you, many of you who are not able to be with us in person. Just know that we have... Uh, an amazing time with or without you, but we're glad that you're able to join us online. Grab your Bibles if you would. We're gonna spend some time in Mark chapter six, and we're gonna move from there into Luke chapter four. Mark six and Luke chapter four. I wanna say a very special thank you to everybody who's serving on our dream team, all of you amazing people that make our Sunday mornings possible by serving the kingdom of God, by serving God's people. So thank you so much. If you are serving in any area of our church, would you guys lift your hand and let us just applaud you for a moment? Come on, come on, lift them up. Love having a church where people serve. For all of you who are, who are thinking about joining our church, if you're kind of kicking the tires around here, wondering if this is your home church, uh, Growth Track happens in the third service today right in the building right behind me. This would uh, be an awesome opportunity for you to make this church your home, and we'd love to have you be a part of that. So in Mark chapter six, we're gonna get into into God's word today. We're gonna talk a little bit about uh, what uh, I feel like the Lord has led me to, uh, these these three simple words called settling for less. Settling for less. And some of you are like, I settled for less the moment that I married this one. Don't don't do that. It's It's not about that. Some of you are like, how does he know? I've settled for less my whole life, and it's It's him. Uh, no, <laughs> we're gonna help you today. We're gonna help you. Settling for less. All about, I wonder what our lives would be capable of if we didn't settle for less than the best that God has for us. There are some things that we do naturally that kind of push us out of God's best for our lives. I believe that God has so much more for you than your mind could comprehend. I believe that God can do so much more in your life than you could possibly imagine. I wonder how many times we settle for less than God's best. And so as getting into, into Mark chapter six, I wanna show you a small town named Nazareth where the people settled for less than what Jesus was capable of doing. This is Jesus's homecoming. Now, when I say homecoming, some of you might have traumatic memories that come around that word, homecoming. If you were ever a part of Texas high school football or went to high school in the state of Texas, homecoming has a very different meaning than anywhere else in the country. Because here, homecoming is not just a football game. It's not just making a trip back home. No, no, homecoming is its own religion. And if you don't know, homecoming is is where the, the high school football team plays a home game and every male that is dating a female in high school goes broke. (laughs) It's the truth. Because Texas football is a religion here. It's a big deal. And when homecoming happens, it's like like the Easter of Texas religious holidays. And if you don't know, if you're coming to high school here and, and and you have no idea about homecoming, let me just tell you, take out a small personal loan 
because you're gonna need it if you're dating. Homecoming means you have to provide with an, a, an epic proposal that would rival any marriage proposal. <laughs> Somebody that knows what I'm talking about, say amen. And then you have to buy a strange thing called a mum that has to be bigger than the lady that's wearing it. <laughs> it shows baller status to the rest of the high school. And just, I'm just telling you, you're gonna go broke. Um, so I'll give you a nickel's worth of free advice that I learned in high school experiencing homecoming for the first time. Uh, there are two times a year that you break up with your girlfriend. <laughs> Valentine's Day and homecoming. <laughs> if you're broke. And they know it. They're like, he's, I know he's gonna break up with me right before homecoming. <laughs> they know it. It's, it's okay. Nickel's worth of free, free advice. So here's a, here's a homecoming that doesn't go quite as planned. Jesus is homecoming. He's coming back to his, home, his hometown of Nazareth after he spent a year away. And so what has happened in this, in this year amount of time is the city of Capernaum has received some amazing miracles of God. The blind are now seeing, the lame are walking, leprosy has been healed, Jesus is feeding people, he's turning water into wine, the party just hit a whole new level when water becomes wine. That's cheap and amazing. 25 miles away is the town of Nazareth where Jesus has come from, and Jesus makes this return trip home in anticipation of doing amazing things. But yet in that moment where Jesus comes back home, he gets rejected. And I wanna kind of walk you through the process of how it gets from this hometown hero having a homecoming to a place where they are rejecting him, not just, not just saying, we don't agree with what you're saying, but they go as far as to say, we're gonna kill you. Now, you can't just read the story of Luke because it doesn't give great details. What gives great details is the, is, is, is the two between Mark and Luke combined. It paints a picture of what happened when the people in Nazareth settled for less than what God wanted to do. And hopefully, as we're reading through this story, I want you to ask yourself a question, if you wouldn't mind. What could I be settling for less than in my life? What are the attitudes of my heart that keep me in a place of less than? What could God do with my life, if I were to allow him to do it. It's easy for us to put, us, to put ourselves in, into the story as Jesus. Yeah, these people rejected me and I could have done a lot for them. Don't do that. It's also easy for us to say, we're kind of the disciples in the story where we're like, yeah, they, they wouldn't receive you, Jesus, but I'm with you. I want us to put ourselves on the other side of the people that rejected him and settled for less than, because I think this is more appropriate as we kind of face the situations that we're looking in our world today, we, we line up more with the people of Nazareth than we do with anybody else in this story. Look at this, if you would, starting in verse one of chapter six in the book of Mark. It says, Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth, and when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Somebody say the word amazed. 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 Things are going well. And they asked this question, where did this man get these things that he's saying? They said, what's this wisdom that has been given him? What are the remarkable miracles that he's performing? In other words, man, he, he's got some amazing things to say. We've heard a lot of stories about this local hometown guy that has made headlines with the things that he's doing. But then the questions begin to change. The narrative begins to shift. And they ask this, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And then it says, and they took offense at him. It goes from being amazed, from anticipation, 
to offense. The Greek word there is scandalon, means they, they walked right into the enemy's trap. I wonder how many traps we walk into between being amazed and anticipating what God could do by letting some of the things that God says become offensive to us. Offended is a term that we throw around a lot. And this is exactly what happens in the hearts of the people at Nazareth. They get offended by what Jesus says. Moving on, it says, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. And it says he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed, somebody say amazed, at their lack of faith. So I want you to see something that's important in this story. They come to church. They hear an amazing word from the greatest speaker of all time. This is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus begins to lay his hands on a few sick people and they get healed. And it was less than what God wanted to do because of their lack of faith. I wonder what could happen today if you say, when you leave this place, I heard the most amazing message the most amazing speaker of all time, not me, but somebody that you like. What would happen if at the end of this service, people got healed? I believe most of us would walk away from the service saying, that was amazing. The spirit of God was in that place. I heard an amazing word that challenged me, that pushed me, that helped me understand God better. I saw people get healed and I settled for less than what God was willing to do. I think many of us would call that an amazing Sunday. Healings, great word. But yet, in this story, it says Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. That challenges me. That pushes me. Because healings and a great teaching, that's about all I expect from a Sunday. That'd be great. But there's more. They're settling for less. I wonder what keeps us from receiving God's best. I think if we look at the story of the people of Nazareth, we see a couple of key things that come out that kind of help paint a picture of our own hearts. And if we're gonna be honest today in God's house, and I hope you are, that we're, we're coming to this place to have God challenge us a little bit, to push us from where we are into who we need to be. So today I wanna challenge your perspective of what keeps you from receiving the best that God has for your life. For many of us, there are some common issues that, that we face, we all face them, that keep us from experiencing God's best because we just won't let go of them. We have this thing that's kind of our thing that's kind of defined us, that we find comfort in it, we find our personality in it. It becomes our story, it becomes our identity. It becomes who we are. And that thing may look different to me than it does to you, but it keeps us from becoming who God has called us to be. For some of us in this room, your thing is unforgiveness. Somebody did something to you that you will not forgive. We refuse to give it to God. We refuse to ever get over it. Someone said one time that holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And we can't experience God's best. We can never get over it because we're busy holding that person and what they did hostage in our mind, not realizing that we are the prisoner. For some of us, it is bitterness. It's taken root in our heart. For others of us, it's words that people have spoken to you or about you. And those words, for, for whatever reason, just took root. And they began to define you. Somebody said you're not gonna be good enough or you messed up too much. Somebody said you're this or you're that. You're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too dark skin, too light skin, too this, too that, too rich, too poor. 
And for whatever reason, that began to settle inside of your heart. And it keeps you from becoming who God has called you to be because the enemy has walked you right into a trap where you believed it. For others of us, it's, it's the battle that you have with your mind. Evil thoughts, and wickedness. For others, it's rejection. Somebody that you love or respected rejected you and it keeps you from ever becoming who God has called you to be, from experiencing the full weight of his glory, from experiencing all that God has in store for you because somebody laid into you and you believed it and it became true of your life. I wonder what could you experience if you weren't limited by the things that limit you? What could you experience if you were able to walk free of the traps that the enemy has laid inside of your path? In the people of Nazareth, I believe that they have three main issues that we still deal with today. I wanna give you three things that hopefully you'll take an honest look at yourself and say, you know what? This is the word of God kind of challenging me today because this is kind of the issue that I have as well. So what keeps them from experiencing God's best is number one, there's an authority issue. And we, I don't know about, I don't know about you, but in America, we don't have an authority issue at all. We love to submit to people. We love to submit to our governing authorities. We love to submit to other countries that wanna rule over us. We love to submit to our bosses. We love to submit to our spouses. We love submitting to pastors. We love submitting to officers. We love submitting to any authority that comes along. Yes, we are so submissive. This cannot be an issue for us. So let's check that one off the list. I must be experiencing all that God has for me because I do not have an issue with authority. And this is exactly what happens to the people of Nazareth. Jesus takes authority and it becomes an offense to them just like it does to us today. So in the book of Luke in chapter four, it gives us kind of the other side of the coin of what was happening. Mark doesn't give us a lot of details about what it took for these people to get so angry at Jesus that they wanted to kill him. But Luke tells us the whole story. So starting in chapter four, verse 20, it says this, Jesus rolled up the scroll of Isaiah and gave it back to the attendant and then he sat down. Somebody say, sat down. This is important because in their culture, the person that sat down in the chair was a person that was claiming authority, claiming to, to what he's gonna speak is gonna be truth. Now today, we would see it, it, it's on a platform like this. Someone would stand behind a lectern and say, it's time for you to listen. I believe that I have something to tell you. But in Jesus' day, in the synagogue, that person would sit down in what they called Moses' seat. This is the seat of authority. Just like Moses, he would be the giver of the law, which means you cannot disagree with anything that I'm saying. Not a big deal if that person was qualified, if everyone knew them, if they understood them to be a really, really good teacher. But for Jesus to be the hometown boy, to suddenly sit down in the seat of authority was a problem. And look at this. It says, as soon as Jesus sat down, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, after he reads the scripture, this very day, that scripture is fulfilled in your presence. In other words, what I just read, which was Isaiah 60, by the way, when Jesus He's quoting Isaiah saying, the spirit of the Lord is on me and he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to open the blinded eyes. What a great scripture. That's an awesome reading. Yeah, that Messiah is gonna come along and he's gonna set captives free. And Jesus looks at them and says, hey, guess what? You're the captives. Uh, excuse me? 
Yeah, that blind person's eyes that I'm gonna open, they're your eyes. No, 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 we're here to see a show. We wanna see people get healed. And he's like, you're gonna see people get healed. It's you. No, 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 I'm not blind. I'm not a captive. I'm not sick. I'm just here to see the show. Jesus takes authority by sitting down and proclaiming the word of God and then beginning to interpret it. That's a problem for people that treated Jesus as something common. I want you to see the difference here. Jesus takes the seat of authority and they take offense. I wrote it down this way, that authority is where amazement becomes offensive to us. We can come to a church today and be amazed at the things that God is doing. You can be amazed by the worship. You can feel the power and the presence of God. You can leave here feeling encouraged and blessed and strengthened. But when the word of God becomes the authority over your life, you have two choices, to stand under it or to be offended at it. This is where our world exists today. We refuse to allow the word of God to become anything more than some good stories or some good rules for us to live by when we want them. But Jesus takes the place of authority by saying, I'm here to give you something better. Something better than you. He's here to interpret the word of God and allow the word of God to not just be read, but to read them. I believe that there are three categories in our decision making that we line up with. As Americans today, uh, we will generally make, make three different decisions when, when we're confronted with what to do with our lives. And the first was, is like most of us, we'd say, I do what I want. I do what I want. Some of you are like, how in the world did Jesus know what I've been saying all week? I do what I want. The second category is, I do what I think is best. I do what I think is right. I do what I believe is the right thing. And let me just, let me just challenge that by saying, according to who? And according to what? Who gets to pick what is right? Is that you? Because it kind of goes back to category number one, you're just doing what you want. But there's a third category that I wanna intrigue you with today, and that category is this, I do what God's word says. This is where God's word goes from just being something good to being something that has authority over my life. This is where God's word moves from something that's amazing to either something that's offensive or something that takes authority. Which is it to you? Because you will never experience the best that God has for your life until the word of God becomes your authority. It has to take authority over you. This is where I say I choose to submit to his authority. And if his word says I can't do it, then my answer is no. I don't have to argue with it. I don't have to have an opinion. Opinion doesn't matter. God's word says no. This is where it takes authority over my finances. God says do it this way. That means my opinion doesn't matter. Well, I'll do what I want. Then you're, under, you're off from underneath the authority of God and you get what you get. You see the difference? We line up a lot with the people of Nazareth because we have major issues with authority. And some of that is valid because there are some people in authority that don't deserve to be there. There are some people in, that were in authority in your life that you need to forgive. Some people in authority in your life that they rejected you. But when God's word stands as the authority, we have to be willing to let those things go. 
You see, it's one thing to hear the word, it's another thing when the word has authority. James chapter one says, don't just hear the word and then deceive yourselves. Deceiving myself about what? Deceiving yourself about whether or not it has authority. We think because we read it or because we hear it explained that now it's suddenly the authority over our lives. It's not the same thing. What does God's word say? And the question is, can you disagree with God's word and you bend? This is where authority comes in. And it's a major issue for us today. What could we experience? What could God show us if we simply believe that his word is what he says it is? And the word is final. Final. Here's the second issue that these people had a problem with that none of us have problems with. We don't have a problem with authority. Here's the second one, and that's the perspective issue. The perspective issue. And I love how Jesus Christ challenges their perspective, not just of how they see him, this little carpenter guy, but he challenges how they see themselves. And he does that by reading their thoughts. Have you ever been in a church service where it seemed like the guy that was talking was talking right to you? Not me, not here, not, no, of course not. <laughs> you ever been in a place where you're like, how in the world is that hitting me right? And like my heart starts beating faster, like I get a little sweaty and I'm like, I, I may not be a... Are you talking to me, Lord? How do you know? Jesus does this. He's notorious for doing that. He still does this today. He begins to read your mail. He begins to speak right to where you are. This is what he says to the people. Look at this in Luke 4, verse 23. Jesus said to them, I know what you're gonna tell me. Wow. He said, you're gonna give me the old saying, doctor, heal yourself. He says, I know what you wanna say. You wanna say, we heard about the things that you did in Capernaum. Do those same things here in your hometown. Jesus, give us a show. Heal those people that are sick. Let us see you do the great things that we heard about because we wanna say, yeah, that's our hometown boy. We knew him when he was nothing. Yeah, he was, he's a carpenter. He does some pretty good shows, but he wasn't a very good second baseman in T-ball. I'm telling you, that was, it's just like an open door right there at second base. He couldn't catch anything. We know him. Jesus challenges their perspective by reading their thoughts. He says, you wanna say, do those miracles, do them here. But then Jesus said this, the truth is a prophet is not accepted in his own hometown. And then Jesus gives two examples that push their perspective in a different direction. He says, during the time of Elijah, there was no food anywhere in the whole country and there were many widows in Israel. But the fact is, Elijah was sent to none of the widows in Israel. He was only sent to a widow in Zarephath. That's a problem because she's a Gentile. So Jesus says, you're not getting in the miracles that you want. I'm trying to give you the miracles that you need. And if you don't receive them, I'm gonna take this out of just the Israelite Jewish community, I'm gonna take this to the world. And I'm gonna change your perspective of who you think you are and who you think I am. Jesus gives another example. And there were many people with leprosy living in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were healed. The only one was Naaman, and he was from the country of Syria, not Israel. That's offense number three. Not only have you taken the seat of authority when we don't give you that authority, but now you're sitting here saying that you're Elijah and you're Elisha and you're here to take the gospel and these good news and these miracles to people that aren't us. And they come up with two narratives. Who do you think you are? 
You're thinking you're Elisha? You're Elijah? You're thinking you're the Messiah or you're Moses worthy to sit in that seat? We know you. Who do you think you are? And now it's moved to, who do you think we are? We're not gonna stand for that. This condescending way that you, that you speak. We're God's chosen ones. We're special. And Jesus begins to challenge their perspective of how they see him, how they see themselves, and then how they see the lost. I wonder what could God do in your life if he could challenge your perspective of how you see yourself. For better or worse. See, for some of us here today, that Nazareth situation hits home to us. I want you to see that there was a, there was a slogan that they would put on the, on the welcome to the city of Nazareth sign. There's a saying that you would talk about when you speak about the city of Nazareth. And that saying was found in John 1 that says, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's a local saying that had just taken heart and taken root inside the culture of this small city of less than 500 people. Can anything good come from there? I love that Jesus came and answered that question once and for all. I wonder if Jesus can challenge your perspective of what good can come from you today. What could happen in our lives if we could see ourselves the way that he sees us, if he could challenge our perspective of how we see ourselves? See, for some of us, we look at ourselves, we're like, I don't need Jesus. I got it all figured out. I've got some money in the bank. I've got a nice savings account. I've got more toys than my neighbors. I'm good. I got my hot wife. I got three of them. I'll marry another one when this one's gone. I don't need salvation. I've got a bank account. I don't need faith. I can write a check. And Jesus would speak to those and say, you don't see yourself the way that I see you. You're poor and blind and naked. You're in chains. There's nothing wrong with having things, but those things have you. I'm something better. And there's others that look at themselves and say, can anything good ever come out of this? I'm not worth receiving that. You know, I believe that if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. He'd walk by and look at, oh, that's my girl. I love that. I like that picture. She looked, that's our good side. <laughs> you know, Jesus thought that you were worth dying for. What could change in your life if you saw yourself the way that God sees you? What could change in your life if you saw your worth based upon who he says that you are? If he could challenge your perspective like he did with the people of Nazareth and you not get offended at what he says. For some of us, we'd look at Jesus and just like the people of Nazareth would say, who do you think you are? And who in the world do you think I am? I am not capable of doing those things. I'm not capable of being that. It's a perspective issue. Jesus says, I'm here to open the eyes of the blind. And guess what? It's you. I believe that how you see Jesus can determine how you experience his power. How do you see him? 
Is he here as a safety net? Is he just here as the person that you can call on whenever you're feeling sick? Whenever your COVID test comes back positive, is that when you get really spiritual? <laughs> no, not us. We don't do that, right? <laughs> it's not us. I think he wants to be more than that. And I think he wants to help you. I believe that many of us don't receive God's best because we believe that we're not worthy of it. And you know what? We're right. Except for the blood of Jesus, we are not worthy. And your best could never measure up to God's standard of perfection. But thankfully, God in his wisdom and in his mercy and in his grace sent his son to buy your debt, to pay for it, what you could never pay for on your best day with all of your money, all your hopes and all your dreams. If you cashed it all out, you could never pay the debt of your sin. So God did it for you through the death of his own son. And he asks us to change our perspective of how we see him. See, God's best for you came in the person of his son, Jesus. I wonder what would be possible if we changed our perspective of who he is and how he sees us. Here's the third issue that these people in Nazareth have that we still face today, that's still a challenge for us. It's not just an authority issue. It's not just a perspective issue. But number three, it's a faith issue. Somebody say faith. Faith. I think we have a flawed view of what faith is. I don't think we really understand what faith is. I want you to see that at the beginning of this, it says, they were amazed at his teaching. And at the end of it, it says, Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. That means you heard the greatest message from the greatest speaker of all time, and you still didn't believe it. I wonder what would be possible in our lives if we just believed it. If we just put our faith in his word and what it says. You know, it doesn't take a lot of faith to see the miracles of God. It really doesn't. There are several times in scripture where it shows that Jesus was on his way to go heal somebody and someone comes back and says, look, you don't have to come to my house. Just say the word. And it says, Jesus marveled at that faith. All I've got to do is say the word and you believe it. Another place it says a woman just reached out and just touched the hem of his garment just a little bit, the little edge of him and received a miracle in that moment. There's many other instances in scripture where Jesus says it doesn't take anything more than a little bit of faith, mustard seed faith. And I believe in this moment that it's not because Jesus could not do any miracles, but they wouldn't let him. They refused to believe. It's not that they didn't need it. It's not that Jesus didn't want to, but they refused to believe that he is who he says he is. I think most of us would say, that's not my issue. I've got tons of faith. But I want to show you something in this scripture that challenged me when I saw it. In their questioning, they says, isn't this the carpenter's son taking what was God and making it common? And we find this too much in our churches today taking something that is so profound and exquisite and precious and dumbing it down to something so common that we can choose to use Jesus as our co-pilot, as the good buddy, and my big guy upstairs. Don't get it twisted. He's God, and he loves you. But he wants you to have a righteous perspective of his power and authority. 
He wants you to recognize how amazing and how precious that is. It's not something flippant to be thrown around. This is God, the creator of heaven and the earth, who knew you before you were born, who has a plan and a purpose for your life and begs you to give him a chance to show him. Give him a chance. It's a faith issue. They dismissed him as a carpenter. And then there's something I have never caught until I just read this this past week. They said, isn't this Mary's son? You know, that, that intrigued me because that's the only time in scripture where you will see someone in the Jewish culture referred to by their mother's name and not their father's name. They didn't say that's Joseph's son. You'll notice this in scripture. It's like, oh, that's the son of David. That's the son of Jesse. That's the son of Noah. They always refer to the father until Jesus. Why do you suppose that is? I think they're telling you in a backhanded way that they're questioning his origin story. Oh, that that virgin birth thing? (laughs) No, no. She had had a conversation with uh, old Bartholomew before Joseph, let me just tell you. I I knew her in high school, and uh, he ain't Joseph's son. Little scandal there. Nowhere else would you ever see this in Scripture not referred to by the Father's name unless you question who the Father is. And this is what happens in the story of Jesus. No, 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 he's not God. He's not the Messiah. He's not something great. He's illegitimate. Don't put your faith in something that you can't really count on. I can't believe what his word says. It must not be true. Now, I'm sure none of us have gotten to the place where what Jesus says about himself or about you has ever been in question in your life. Certainly not. But I wonder... What did they miss out on because they refused to put their faith in who Jesus says he is? What could you be missing out on because you don't believe? Where's your faith? Could we be settling for something so much less because we don't believe he is who he says he is? Could it be that we have a skewed idea of what faith is? You see, our world will tell us this that faith is believing without proof. That's not true. Faith is confidence in God. That means his word has already proven who he is. His word already tells me of his goodness. His word already tells me of his power. So whether he comes through in the way that I think he should come through or not, he's still God. My confidence is in him. If it comes through the way I thought it was going to come through, great. If it doesn't, my confidence is still in him. And this is where we go when we don't understand, when we can't figure it out, when it makes no sense, when everything is stacked against us. We have to go back to confidence in God. Where's your confidence today? Is it in you or is it in him? I want to finish up with this today. That it doesn't take miracles to convince me of God's power. I believe whether he gives me what I ask for or not. I believe that because he's changed my perspective. 20 years ago, He changed my perspective of who I thought I was and what I thought I was capable of. And he found me, an addict 
a loser, an idiot, a three-time college dropout, and saw something precious in me. And he convinced me that if his word could take these people in here and do something special with their life, what could he do with someone that just started believing him? I wonder, can God challenge your perspective today? Can you get your faith up to believe him for more? I think it all comes back to one simple question. Who has authority over your life? Is it your life or is it his? Is it your future or have you given it to him? Who has the final say? You're like, well, I think it's God, okay? Then when God's word disagrees with you, who bends? Does his word change? Do you try to change it? Or do you say, you know what? I concede. His word says no, my answer is no. His word says yes, my answer is yes. Who's an authority? As we finish up today, I'm, I wanna ask you, what keeps you from receiving God's best for your life? And could it be that you're capable of so much more? Could it be that God's power is just on about 2% in your life? Because there's some major issues that we haven't really given to God. What's your issue? And let me ask you in the famous words of a great theologian, Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? <laughs> what would it take? What would it take to make a change today? I believe authority is where amazement goes to offense. And so are you gonna leave this place offended at God's word? Offended of what it's asking you to do? Or are you gonna take him at his word and take a step of faith and submit to him? For some of us in this place, that means letting go of unforgiveness. How long are you gonna carry that, boss? For others of us, it's letting go of rejection. And I believe it's as simple as a choice. Okay, Lord, this is my issue. I need to give this to you. I, I don't know how to do this but I'm not gonna hang on to it myself anymore. Would you help me? I believe that your word says I can walk free from this. So I just choose to believe it. For others of us in this place, there's some issues that you have with the words that have been spoken over you. Somebody said something that set you off. And I think as we're talking about this today, the Holy Spirit's reading your mail and saying, how long are you gonna let that define you? what she said, what he said, what your old pastor said. How long? Are you settling for less because you're busy holding on to that thinking that it's valuable? And I know this because I've been there. I've been there. So what will it take for you? Today will we take the word of Jesus and take it to a side of the hill like what they did and, and go to throw Jesus off of it where you reject it or you let it come back into a place of authority where you stand underneath it and say, I, I believe your word over what I feel. Would you bow your head and close your eyes today?
I believe if I've done my job correctly today that there's some decisions that you need to make. And I think there's some very hard hearts in this room. I know it because I've been there. And as I'm talking about a person that you need to forgive, there's something that's like anger that balls up inside of you. My friend, that is demonic. When we talk about people that have spoken words over your life, you have a flash of anger that hits you. My friend, that's demonic. It's time to let Jesus heal you. Don't go another day carrying that junk around. You can walk free from that. Imagine Jesus himself standing before you and saying, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. I'm here to open the eyes of the blind. I'm here to set the captives free. Let him do it. Don't settle for less. It's not working. You can do this. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, if you're watching online, I want you to just take a moment if you would. Would you just simply open up your hands before the Lord? Just lay them on your knees if you would right where you are as a sign of surrender, as a sign of being open to receive what God has for you and saying, Lord, I need to give you this. Lord, this person spoke this into my life and it has just crushed me. It's defined me for too long. And as I'm even thinking about it, Lord, I've ignored it for a long time, but I'm sick of being defined by that. Lord, I've had unforgiveness towards this person or that person. My friend, I'm not telling you what they did was right. I'm saying you don't have to live as a slave to it anymore. Jesus is here to set the captives free. I need your help, Lord. Please help me. My friend, open up your hands. I wanna pray for you. Father God, I pray for every single person that needs help today. Lord, if we have a hard time submitting to your word, help us today. We're gonna choose to submit as a sign of putting our faith in you. For others of us in this place, Lord, it's a perspective issue. We can't see ourselves the way that you see us and we don't see you the way that is, that is a, true, a true version of who you are. Lord, we, we, we see some made up version in our own mind. Help us to see the real Jesus. Lord, our faith is in you. Our confidence is in you. We need you. We need your help. Would you come? Lord, I pray for every single person letting go of some things today. I pray that this would be a day of freedom for everyone that's taking a step for you. Would you help them? Would you speak to them? Would you minister to their needs? Would you set the captives free today? In Jesus' name. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna make one last appeal to anyone here today who has never asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins. My friend, you may have been raised in church. You may have sung all the songs but you've been away from God and you know it, you need to come home. You may say, how do I do that? Let me help you. I wanna help you just like somebody helped me one time. You start by saying a prayer. It's not a magical prayer. It's a prayer of surrender and a prayer of faith. You say, do I need to say it out loud? No, you can say it in your heart. It doesn't matter. The most important thing is that you believe it. Do you believe it? The prayer goes like this. Say this prayer with me right where you are. I'll tell you what to say. Pray this, just say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. Come on, pray with me. I believe that you came and died, but rose from the grave so that I could have life and forgiveness for all of my sin. Will you forgive me? Heal me, 
cleanse me, save me. I give my life to you right now in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, my friend, if you just pray that prayer with me, right where you are, would you simply just lift up your hand and say, that was me, pastor. I prayed that prayer with you. Good, I see you. Good, I see you. Good, good, I see you. Good for you. If you're watching online, man, I'm so proud of you. Would you just put it in the chat? If you're watching on social media, type, that was me. I prayed that prayer. Good for you, good for you. Our friends, we would love to maybe send you some things that would help you understand what just happened inside of your heart and what to do next. This is not the end of your relationship with Jesus, it's the beginning. The easiest way is by text, if you wouldn't mind. Text 844-HRC-TEXT and text the words, I prayed, I-P-R-A-Y-E-D. We'll send you some videos that we've prepared to help you take the next step. It's good for you. So proud of you. Good. Well, Highbridge family, go ahead and look up at me, then stand to your feet if you would. I'm gonna invite our elders and their wives to step forward and they're gonna stay here after this service is over to be able to pray for any needs that you may have. We believe that God still answers prayers, amen? amen. If you're watching online and you like what you saw today, would you do us a favor and click the share button? That always means a lot to us and we can see that you've used your social media influence to invite your friends to have a relationship with Jesus. It's a big deal. Thank you so much for that. If you're, if you're watching on Facebook, go ahead, and, go ahead and say hi to Taylor. She's doing our moderating today. Say, hey, Taylor. We're good to see you. Glad that you are serving God. Glad you're doing what you do so that people can watch all around the world. That's an awesome thing. If you're here today with us and you have a Facebook account, and most of you probably do, share that message if you would. It means a lot to us. It's always a cool thing we get to celebrate on Monday of those that said, I liked what we heard today and I think my friends need to hear it too, amen? Good. Let me bless you and send you out. Father, I thank you for the amazing day spent getting into your word and allowing your word to get into us. Lord, we're not just reading it, it's reading us. And I pray that we would respond to it, that we would never be the same. Would you bless my friends as they go to have an amazing week in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. God bless you as you go. I hope you have an amazing day and go Cowboys. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by the message. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review wherever you're listening. If you want to be a part of our online community, connect with us through Facebook or Instagram with the handle at HighRidgeLV, or you can check out our website at HighRidgeLV.com. Lastly, if this ministry has impacted your life and you'd like to support its work, visit HighRidgeLV.com give. We appreciate your support and we're believing with you today for God's best in your life. Have an incredible week and we will see you next time.